We were in the book of Psalms last week. I want us to kind of stay there for a little while. We've, we've just finished this series about worship, and, and right now we're not really in a series, um, so to say, but, but I'm, I'm just sort of captivated by the Psalms right now. And so um, I want us to look in the book of Psalms. We're going to look in Psalm 139 this morning. And um, Psalm 139 is one of my favorites. You know, Elvis Presley said there ain't nothing like a song, right? Some of y'all remember, Elvis fans remember uh, that song. If you're a lover of music like I am, you'll agree that a song can deeply connect us to specific places, specific people, uh, specific memories and moments. And music can kind of do that like nothing else can. And different music connects these things to different people in different ways. Um, Most of you, if you're married or if you're dating or have a significant other, maybe you have a song. Kim and I have lots of songs. Kim and I actually have a playlist of songs that we consider to be our songs. When we're together, we play these songs. And, And so lots of couples have their song and whatever that is. But you may have songs that connect you to that romantic relationship you have with your spouse or, or with who you might be dating. Songs connect us that way. Uh, when I hear 80s country music, which I have debates with my boys on a regular basis about what is better, and I am of the opinion that the country music of the 80s and early 90s is far superior to anything that the country music industry is producing right now. Is anybody with me? All right. Praise the Lord. Amen. Um, I'm not a country music fan, but I am an 80s country music fan. And when I hear 80s country music, it takes me back to riding in the back seat of my grandparents' car. When, when we would go to Gatlinburg and Pigeon Forge, my family were mountain, mountains people when, when we did vacations. And so I, I, can, I can remember the smell of, of those seats in the back seat when I hear Kenny Rogers or when I hear Alabama or, or, or Ronnie Millsap or any of those guys, when I hear those songs, it takes me back to sitting in the backseat of their car driving to the mountains. You, you know what I'm saying? How music can take you back to a place like that. Um, and and when, when school is over, and this has been something with me like over the past four or five years, when school is over and it's the end of May, um, and, and, and believe it or not, the preacher doesn't just listen to hymns and worship music all the time. Like, I like all sorts of stuff. And it, when, when school is out, um, I, late 70s, early 80s, soft rock, what people call yacht rock now, I'm all about it. And that's like the soundtrack of summer to me. When we go to the beach, I take my Bluetooth speaker and I'm playing Seals and Croft and Kenny Loggins and Michael McDonald as loud as I can. Um, on the beach like it's so good but those songs like they just fit that place and that time and those you you understand how how that happens and and music does that the thing I love about the psalms is as we've said before the psalms are music worship music should do the very same thing the same thing when we sing songs of worship to God it should take us and remind us of realities of who God is or take us to moments or memories or truths about who he is that that it's so real that we can almost feel it. 
that we can smell it. That, like that there might be a certain worship song or a hymn that can take you back to a significant place in your walk with God, a significant moment. And, and, and worship music should do the same thing. And the Psalms do that. The words that the psalmist wrote with, with great artistry, especially the Psalms of David, were meant to connect the worshiper with certain aspects of the character of God. When we read the Psalms and when, and when we sing those, they're supposed to connect us to certain characteristics about who God is. We think about the intimate love and the intimate care of God when we read Psalm 23. Right, the Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want. We it, that that psalm is all about the love and the care of God. There are psalms like Psalm seven and Psalm ninety nine that are all about the justice of God, the fact that God is just and right, and He will judge all things fairly. And then some of the psalms are just about the glory of God. Psalm 19 is about the glory of God. Psalm 97 is all about the glory of God. Just the fact that there is nothing greater than him. Nothing that can, can even compete with his glory. And so Psalm 139 this morning for me is one of my favorites. Because I, I believe it's one of the most intimately written psalms of David. We said that of all the psalms, uh, that David is responsible for at least half of those. And David, I think, was an incredible psalm writer. And Psalm 139 gives us a glimpse of the depth of the personal relationship that God had with David and that David had with God. It was written by David, so it was an expression of his experience and his personal, intimate relationship with God, but it also teaches us about the nature of God's relationship with his people. That the kind of relationship that David expresses in this psalm is the kind of relationship that God desires to have with us. And so I want to ask you this question, when is the last time that you noticed how deeply you are known by God? It might be a common thing for a believer to, to question or, or think about, how well do I know God? But when's the last time you've thought about how well God knows you? Kim has developed an affinity for coffee mugs. We have lots and lots of coffee mugs at our house, and she collects them, and, and, uh, and there's one particular one that we have that I think is her favorite. It's, it's probably my favorite of all of her coffee mugs. But the title of the message is what's on her coffee mug in our kitchen. Jesus knows me, this I love. And the first time I saw that, you may see that and go, wait a minute, that's backwards. That's not the way it's supposed to be. But I love that. Because that's exactly, that is the way it's supposed to be. And I believe that when I was reading this psalm and thinking about what David says in it, like this is the perfect expression of what David is trying to get across in Psalm 139. While we are constantly growing and focusing on our knowledge of God and trying to grow in how much we know him, we also have to embrace and continue to, to gain the knowledge of the reality of how much he knows us. Because that matters. 
And so that's what David is talking about in Psalm 139. So I'm going to give you a little bit of an outline today. Last week we were in the Psalms. I didn't really give you much of an outline at all. Today, for you note takers, I'm going to give you outlines. And we're going to look at the first 12 verses of Psalm 139. And we're going to break them apart into a couple of different sections. So I want us to look first at Psalm 139 at the very beginning and look at verses 1 through 4. If you'll follow along with me in your Bible. Verse 1, David writes and says, Lord... You have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. So these verses are all about... That the, the, this, these verses we're going to read this morning are going to highlight two of those specific characteristics of God. So the first one is God's perfect knowledge. That's what verses 1 through 4 is about, the perfect knowledge of God. And there are three aspects to that perfect knowledge of God that David says um, that God has of him, thus he has in us. So the first one is God knows what we do and why we do it, okay? The perfect knowledge of God. God knows what we do and why we do it. In verse 2 and verse 3, he says, you know when I sit down and when I stand up. David is saying every action that I take, God is fully and completely and perfectly knowledgeable of. When I sit down and when I stand up, part of what David is saying is when I rest and when I work. When I'm, when I'm on, we know what it feels like to be at our jobs or even sometimes when we're at church. And there's a switch that we kind of have to flip. You know what it feels like when you say, I have to be on because I'm around people? There's, a, there's an aspect of that that's true for ministry too. That switch is on. So when I'm on, but then also when I'm off. When I can turn that switch off and I'm away from people and I'm alone and I'm resting, God is fully aware of all those things, every action. David says, you understand my thoughts from far away. So not only is God aware of every single thing that we do, he's also aware of every single motive behind every single thing that we do. David says, you are aware of all my ways. And that includes my external ways, the ways about me that, that people see. And then, God, you're also aware of all my ways, my internal ways, because I have ways about my life that are on the inside. And most of the time, those ways that are on the inside are going to eventually come out in my ways on the outside. The ways of our hands and the ways of our hearts are deeply connected, aren't they? It's very hard to have a heart that goes one way and hands that go another way. Those are connected. And David says, God, you are aware of all of those things. He knows there is a divine involvement in every action of our lives. Even the most casual, common things. God knows when you brush your teeth and when you don't. 
Like kiddos, I want to tell you, he knows and he watches when you go in the bathroom and you turn on the water and you swish it around and you wet your toothbrush and then you walk out and say, yep, I brushed my teeth. No, I know you didn't. Like even the most common everyday things that we think are completely invisible to everybody else, even the things that don't really matter, David says, God, you know every single one of them. You know everything that I do. You know every motive behind everything I do. And you know the way, not just of my hands, but you know the ways of my heart. So God knows what we do and why we do it. He also, number two, he knows what we say and why we say it. Mm. Because David says, you understand my thoughts. So we all know that before anything comes out of our mouth, it begins in our, in our mind. It starts with our thoughts. And David says, God, you understand all of my thoughts before my words are even spoken. Motives are funny things because motives are easily hidden. Sometimes, or at least for a little while. We can hide our motive for doing something. And lots of times in the world, we see people doing really kind things, but they have very unkind motives. We see people doing good things with very bad and selfish motives. But the fact that God understands and is aware of every thought and motive of our heart will either be a comfort to us or it will bring us a lot of anxiety. And it just depends on who we are. Matthew 12, verse 34, Jesus said, From the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if you want to figure out what's in somebody's heart, one really good indicator is to listen to what comes out of their mouth. And David says in this psalm, Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it. And we know that James, in, in his letter, talks about how unruly the tongue is. And we know that. He says the tongue is literally a, a fire that, that no man can tame their tongue. And that includes all of us. Like it's a struggle. And sometimes we have to, we have to tame our tongue. We have to bite our tongue. We have to stop because it's... There's, there's something in our minds that we want to say, but we're not going to say it. And David says, God, before you, it really doesn't matter. Like before it's even on my tongue, before it even gets from my brain to my tongue to where I have to leash it and hold it, because oh, I really want to say it, but I'm not going to. Before it even gets there, you know all about it. Every unspoken word, this is... This is what I have to realize. Every word that I've not spoken to people, God hears. Everything that I didn't say, he heard. And then thirdly, his perfect knowledge means that he knows where we go and why we go there. Because David in verse 3 said, you observe my travels and my rest so you watch you're fully aware he knows where we go one of my favorite 
apps to use on my phone because I have an iPhone. It's the Find My app. And I have all of my family connected to it. And I can look and see where they are at any point. Some of you have Life360 on your phones, right? And you know how to keep in touch with each other. You're watching over your kids, husbands, when your wife disappears in the afternoon for three hours and you don't know where she's at and you wonder where she is, you can just look and see. Find out where she is. And so we can observe. We, we know what that's like to be able to observe and, and, and like track each other. We can, we can know those things. I can observe my family. I can watch where they go. I can do this to ensure that they're safe. And the same thing is true with God. But I can also, if I don't want my family to know where I'm at, I can go to my location services on my phone and I can swipe that off. And then all of a sudden they don't know where I am. Can't do that with God. You can't hide your location from him. He says, I know. David says, you're fully aware of everywhere I go. My coming and my going. So all of these things, David reflects on all of them. Every aspect of his life, it seems. Every action, every word, every, every movement from place to place. And David, humbled before the Lord, says, you know, you know all of it. Perfectly. Can't we easily fool ourselves into thinking that there's just even a sliver of information that maybe is just ours? Like, can't, can't we even in our minds, can we really wrap our minds around the fact that, that every single thing about us, the things that are good and the things that are really, really bad, are fully known by God? Everything. And David is just meditating on that fact. And it's, and it's moving him to worship. Then after verse 4, David moves into praising God not only for his, his perfect knowledge of David, but how the knowledge of God is tied to the presence of of God. So look at verses 5 and 6 in Psalm 139. Verse 5, David says, You have encircled me. You have placed your hand on me. This wondrous knowledge is beyond me. It is lofty, and I am unable to reach it. The knowledge God has of us is not a distant knowledge. It's not distant. The, the perfect knowledge of God is unified with the perfect presence of God. And so that's the second big part. We talked about the perfect knowledge of God. And now David moves into talking about the perfect presence of God in these verses. So in verses 5 and 6, David says regarding the perfect presence of God that we can never comprehend it. That's what verses 5 and 6 are about. Because in verse 5, he says this wondrous knowledge is what? 
beyond me. It is lofty and I'm unable to reach it. He says, I can't comprehend it. There's two words that, that theologians use when we, when we talk about our understanding of God. There's comprehend, and then there's also a word that maybe we don't think about is the word apprehend. Usually when I hear the word apprehend, I think of police. <laughs> I think of police officers apprehending uh, a criminal or a suspect. But the word that, that David is using in this psalm in verse 5, he's saying, God, I can never, this perfect knowledge is, is beyond me. I can't comprehend it. To apprehend something means to kind of grab hold of it mentally. So the best that we will ever be able to do is apprehend the truths of God. Basically to say, I can I can. I can get handles on it just enough to be able to hold it and, and see it and say, yes, I'm, I'm going to go with that. But to comprehend it means to go inside and know all of the workings of it. Like I can, I can apprehend my car because I can get in it and drive it. Like I know enough about it that I can get in it and drive and get to where I need to go. But I can't comprehend my car because I don't know how all that stuff works. Some people can, but I cannot. Um, so to comprehend, and that's what David is saying here. He's saying, I can't, I can't comprehend it. I can't, I, I can't understand all of these things about how your, your perfect knowledge and your perfect presence is in my life. But I'm, I'm trying my best just to, just to grab hold of it. He's overwhelmed with gratitude. When he realizes that both of these characteristics, the knowledge of God and the presence of God, have been true his entire life. And both of those things have been true every minute of your life. In every moment of my life. So David, in saying these things in verses 5 and 6, he, he's overwhelmed by this truth and he wants to comprehend it like just because we can't comprehend it doesn't mean that we don't try and so David is trying to grab hold of it and the way he is he begins to explore the extent of God's presence so he says you've encircled me you're always with me you've placed your hand on me to encircle me that means you you surround me God there's nowhere I can go to get around you I can't go over, I can't go under, can't go around. Like that kid's song we sang in kindergarten. Like, like there's, there's nowhere that we can go. And so then he begins to think, and as he's writing this psalm and this expression of worship, he begins to think about this truth that God has encircled me, and he has his hand on me. And so if that is true, then this is true, and then this is true. And so he begins to think about what's the extent of the fact that God is encircling me. So he talks about that in the rest of those verses. Look at verse 7. So because God has encircled me, he says, Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, 
You are there. If I make my bed in Sheol or, or, or hell itself, you are there. If I fly on the wings of the dawn and settle down on the western horizon, even there, your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold on to me. Or your Bible may say, Nicole, you will hold me fast. So not only can we never comprehend the presence of God, but number two is we can never escape it. We can never escape the presence of God. And why would we ever want to escape the presence of God? You may ask that. Why would we want to run away? Why would we want to escape the presence of God? For the same reason that Adam and Eve tried to escape the, the presence of God. Our sin. Our sin causes us to want to escape God's presence. Sin has already created a separation. Right? There's already a separation between us and God that's created by our sin. But when we're fully aware of our sinfulness, there's something about that sin that causes us to want to widen that gap, that wants us to that we want to try to escape from the presence of God. Because when we're sinners in the presence of God, then we're we're forced to come to terms with our sinfulness in light of his holiness. And so if we can't escape his presence, then that means if I, if I can escape his presence, I don't really have to deal with my sinfulness as much. And so we sometimes want to escape his presence. But David says, I can't do that, God. Can't get away. Fear may cause us to want to separate ourselves from God or flee his presence. Shame may cause us to want to do that. Rebellion may cause us to want to do that. But the extent of God's presence is so vast, there is no place or no circumstance that can take us out of his presence. No circumstance, no place that we can get away from him. Are there particular places in your life, physical places, that you find yourself being completely oblivious to the presence of God there? Are there places that you've convinced yourself that God's just not there? And then when you're there, he's not. Maybe. If so, we need to correct our thinking. Because he is, he is encircled us. He is everywhere. We can't get away from his presence. Kim, um, we keep, she keeps babies at our house during the day, and she's kept many families over the years. And right now, the, the, the Rampley girls are uh, a part of our house, Bonnie and Justin's little girls, and, and Lucy Kate um, fills our house with lots of, uh, lots of uh, life and noise and uh, Lots of other things, but we love them very, very much. But the Rampley girls, especially Lucy Kate, has this thing that she does. That when Bonnie 
comes to our house to pick up Lucy Kay, and she knocks on the door. She knows when, you know, we're, Kim's getting her ready. You say, your mommy's coming, your mommy's coming. And when she knocks on the door, Lucy Kay wants to hide from mama. You kids do that? Like, oh, let's hide from mama, let's hide from mama. It's like, okay, let's do our best job to hide. And so she will run and jump on the couch and take a blanket, put it over her head. If your kids ever done that, like especially when they're really little, and you say, "Well, let's let's hide, or we're gonna play hide and seek." Ready? One, two, three, go! And they and they like go over in the corner, and they just stand there like that, or they go somewhere and they're in plain view, but they cover their eyes up, <laughs> and they're like, "Okay, I'm hiding," and then they're talking to you while you're like, "Where are you?" Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm 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 not there, <laughs> and and they're like. And, and you're like, I see you. <laughs> like, I can completely see you. You're not hiding at all. I think, and as silly and as foolish as that is, and how we look at that and laugh and chuckle, I completely think that has to be the view of God when we think we're trying to get away from him. Or when I think that my life is so dark, and so bad that he's just not around. I see God as my heavenly father just seeing me in plain sight with my eyes covered up, maybe telling myself because I can't see him, he can't see me. Right? And I just kind of see him Looking over me going, I see you. I, you're right there. Like your, your best attempt is really, really bad. <laughs> so David realized he's, he's engulfed by the presence of God. And he can't get away from it. But I want you to notice the the tone of this psalm. Remember, this is a worship psalm. This is something that David's writing, David is writing in an expression of worship. And earlier in the psalm, he says that this knowledge before me in verse 6, he says this wondrous knowledge is beyond me. Your Bible may say, it's too wonderful. So this isn't an expression of David that's written in dread or, or fear. This is an expression of worship. David is saying, you know everything about me. And there's nowhere I can go to escape your presence and that is a really, really, really good thing. It's not that David is writing this psalm as an expression of, of, of dread. He's writing it as an expression of joy. And for those of us that are in relationship with God, the knowledge that he's fully, fully aware and knows everything about us and that he's literally inescapable should be a great reassurance of his faithfulness in our life. 
For the believer, these truths should be a source of peace. And this is the heart that David has as he's writing this psalm. Because he's, he's been through so much. And he's looking back at his life and he's realizing, God, you were, you were with me the whole time. Those, those times in my life when things were so dark. And he says in verse 11 and 12, if you keep reading, it says, there's no darkness that can hide me. And even, even the darkness is not dark to you, God. That the night shines as bright as the day to you because everything is laid bare before you. He says, was that, when I was in my darkest moments and the darkest times of my life, you were, you were there. And you knew you knew my heart. You knew what I was struggling with. You knew the questions I was asking. And the times that I thought I was completely alone, I was never alone. This may seem, again, like a very elementary truth. It's not hard for us to understand in our theology of God that God is omnipresent, which means he's everywhere. And that he's, um, that he's omniscient, which means he knows everything. That's not hard. We begin to teach those principles even to our kids at a very young age. God is everywhere and he knows everything. But what draws David to worship in Psalm 139 goes beyond that. It's easy to say God knows everything. It's different to say God knows me. God knows me completely. He has a perfect knowledge of all of the parts of me. It's easy to say God is everywhere, but it's different to say God is with me. God is present with me. He has encircled me. What would a constant awareness of God's perfect knowledge of you and God's inescapable presence with you, what would that knowledge change about the way you live your life? If we could really feel it and know it the way David is experiencing and blessing it in, in this psalm, how, how would that change the way we live? Here's... Here's my last note that you can write, and we'll conclude with this. How your mind and heart respond to this truth will reveal the state of your relationship with God. And this is what I want you to consider. Does the fact that God knows you perfectly and completely surrounds you at all times, does that bring you joy or does that scare you? And however that makes you feel, whatever your answer is to that question, you should pay attention to because that will tell you something about where you stand with him. If he's your father, he's your savior, he's your shepherd, and you understand the gospel and you understand what he's done for you, the fact that he is always present and has a perfect knowledge of you is like the greatest 
blanket of peace and comfort that you could wrap around you at any moment of your life when things are horrible. But for the sinner, for the person who is distant from God, the person who is separated from God, it's one of the scariest things in the world to think about. But even for the sinner, I don't believe God would intend it in light of the gospel to be scary. Because the good news for you, if you've never trusted Christ, the good news is that God does know every single thing about you. He knows all of those dark places, all of those things that you think you can hide from him, you can't. And yet, even though he knows you, he's loved you enough to die for you. What we do as people is we hide ourselves from each other. Why? Because one of our greatest fears is this. If they really knew, if they really knew me, they would reject me. Right? And that's true of people. There are things about the deepest parts of who we are that if some people who may like us and want to be around us, if they knew those things about us, they may decide they don't want us anymore. And that's scary. Folks, that's not the case with God. Because God chose you. And God sent his son to die for you with a full knowledge of every dark thing about you. And he knows more about the depth of your sin than you do. However dark you think your life is and however sinful you think you are, God is aware that you are that even more. And yet he sent his son to die in your place, to offer you forgiveness, offer you relationship with him that says, though I'm fully there and I know everything about you, I love you just like you are. And I love you so much that I don't want you to stay that way. 